To Moving Iron Podcast, Marcus with Sean Hackett. Sean is a financial advisor with finan- uh, Hackett Financial in Boca Raton, Florida. And this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom, delivering insights, and Dry Shot Boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Mr. Casey. Doing really good, despite the news. Well, I'm doing really say, good down here. It's a zombie apocalypse <laughs> in Florida, from what I understand. <laughs> I was going to yeah. bring a picture of a skeleton, but I thought that's not a good idea. Yeah, well, people believe you then. I mean, like, holy crap! Listen to the news; it sounds like Florida is just on death's doorstep everywhere you go. So I could tell you, life is good down here. It really is. It's yeah. good. So. It's crazy what the news reports, isn't it? It is, and uh, our markets are driven by it, as you know. So that's yep. what we have to. That's a state of affairs right now, and that's that's what we have to focus on. So. Yep, absolutely. So on Wednesday. Speaking of the economy, the uh, Fed came out with their um, monetary um, program for the uh, upcoming quarter here and basically painted a very rosy picture of the economy. Not, it was, uh, you know, they, they kind of told everything. I, they, there's no real surprises there, and everybody knew kind of where we were at, what was going on. Um, there's still a lot of hangover left over from the uh, corona, coronavirus shutdown that we had in uh, March. And I guess so. They're keeping interest rates at, at near zero, um, so you know money's still cheap out there to, to move stuff, but they're starting to see some stagnation in the market. So I guess, what was your reaction to uh, to what the Fed came out with, and and uh, what is your thoughts on the uh, how it's going to affect the markets? I guess when you looked at the stock market yesterday, it had a dip, but it came right back, so there's not a lot of fear there. Well, I mean, I think, I think you really want to look at the U.S. dollar in terms of how the market really thinks of the Federal Reserve policies. You know, the dollar has been kind of crashing here at least the last couple of weeks, maybe even three. And uh, I think, look, this, the Federal Reserve chairman is always trying to, to, to strike a, a delicate balance, right? Right. He, has to, he wants to say things are looking good, but he, he wants to also say they're not that good that he's willing to tighten monetary policy. So what right. he wants to say is, I'm going to stay loose, but things look good. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he said yesterday. And the dollar is reacting in a, in a manner that suggests that the money printing uh, pumps are going to stay on for the foreseeable future. And um, as as is government spending, another whatever one to two trillion dollar uh, relief packages uh, being discussed again. And so yeah. that money ain't going to come from me and you. That money's going to come from the Federal Reserve printing it and giving it to them. That's the only way that money gets spent. So so with that in mind, a weaker dollar. Intermediate term is always good for ag markets. It doesn't have to be right away, but you know we haven't had a weaker dollar environment or a weaker dollar trend in a very long time. Yeah. So to me, despite the fact that I'm not sure all this crazy spending and printing is good in the long run, it is good for the dollar to go down, and that is good for ag in the short run. So okay, so let me talk about this a minute. So I I've read some articles and listened to some some various uh, radio shows and stuff, podcasts and those kind of things that I listen to, and we're talking about the dollar, you know, contracting a little bit, and we're starting to see some some movement there that we haven't seen in a while. I've heard numbers between seventy and ninety percent of the world's economies are in some level of contraction, some greater than others. But um, 
really as the dollar contracts, so does everybody else. So we're still kind of the same playing field, I guess. Is that, I mean, talk about that a little bit and what you see there and how that is affecting what we see for exports in the U.S. Well, remember, if, if you're spending money you do not have, throughout history, if you spend mm-hmm. money you do not have, and you are printing the money to spend that money, it's, and, and, and so rolling back here a little bit, the Federal Reserve is also involved in what they call interest rate management. That means that they're going to control long-term and short-term interest rates to prevent them from going higher. So, so that policy, which was done in the late 1940s, early 1950s, um, and everyone else is doing it, means that if you spend money and print the money and, you're not, and you don't allow interest rates to go up, the only way that the market uh, adjusts for that is for a weaker currency. But you're correct. If everyone's doing it, then the overall level of currency is, going, is falling, right? But the difference is the U.S. is doing it on such a massive scale mm-hmm. beyond what anyone else is doing. It's dollar bearish, meaning everyone is doing it, but we're doing it on a scale that no one else could get away with. We only get away with it because we have the reserve currency, right? Right. So, so it's such a massive, massively larger than everybody else. It's dollar bearish, even though the other currencies are bearish. We're more bearish right now, so we're losing ground on most other currencies, and that uh, – Differential is positive for U.S.-based ag prices in the long run. Has always been that way. So okay, all right. So let's jump over and take a look at what's happened in the markets here this week. Um, corn and soybeans both have have done nothing but go down. I don't know if they they start up, kind of make their way up a little bit, but they finish. They lose what they've gained plus some towards the end of the day. And I think yesterday it closed at like three seventeen the front month or something like that. I don't have it in front of me here, but it's right around there and. So we're kind of back to where we were. Um, we've officially given back everything that we gained that run up to 350 that we saw um, about three weeks ago. So um, there's a lot of bearish news out there about, you know, we're going to have a massive crop. It's going to be 184 bush, average bushel an acre on that. And, and, you know, soybeans are kind of in the same boat. There's going to be this massive, uh, massive crop. Um, I, I don't know. It, it seems to me like the weather forecast does not necessarily support that, but I'm not an agronomist either. So I guess what's your thoughts on that? And, and uh, I mean, what, where, you, where do you see corn going? Well, I mean, the, the market uh, did not like what the USDA said Monday night when they increased the crop ratings on corn by three. Uh, and I guess they increased the soybean ratings by three or two or something yeah. like that. So the market viewed that and, and especially for corn and said, well, that's it. The crop's made. It's done. We, you know, we're, we're, we're done. Um, if all one had to do was take crop ratings to determine crop yields, it'd be the easiest thing in the world to figure out. We wouldn't even need the USDA to tell us. Right. But right. of course, crop ratings do not correlate extremely well with yields. They're a, a general barometer, but the, the, what we have been trying to, discuss in our reports is that uh, in years when we have extremely above average temperatures, especially at night, um, the crop looks great uh, because humid nights usually means you have some thunder shower activities and, and, and the crop looks great. So we go back to 2010, which was the last year we really had a year where we had what I'd call scattered rainfall, but extremely warm temperatures at night. Uh, the ratings back in 2010 were exactly the same as they are today for, during the same week last time. Uh, crop looked great. 
everyone thought we had a record crop yield. And then from the August yield report that the USDA came out with to the October, they dropped yields by 11 bushel to the acre because harvest yields were not coming in as expected. We see the same thing happening. We see the market, uh, unfortunately, trading great crop conditions, assuming all is well, but they have not identified this extremely warm, well above normal, hot, uh, warm night and the issue to pollination. And so th we think there's going to be a rude awakening for that. But until, until you know, crop yields off the combine start to show disappointment, which we really won't get that until late August, the market is free to trade the crop's been made. And that's kind of where we're at. So I, I also think, you know, we're testing the lows, as you said, mm -hmm. from June. I don't think we we go marginally below here right now, Casey. I think we could just chop sideways while the market just waits for harvest to begin. But we, if we believe that we could see a significant uh, decline in yields from August to October based upon this hot, warm night, failed pollination kind of concept that we see from time to time. And so with that being said, then the, the market is grossly mispricing corn, if that's true. Um, so that's where we think that we think we're near low, but uh, but we don't think that we can get a lot of upside going until we get enough harvest results, which probably will be you know, late August. We're thinking the corn market can start to poke its head back up again after going sideways, maybe into mid into mid late August. That's that's where we see corn right. Soybeans a little different. If August is good weather, I mean soybeans could be a big crop. You know we 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 don't know yet. We're just getting started, but it does look like they're backing off some of the heat in August. It looks like. The scattered rainfall will continue to be there. So also, you know, soybeans could be in really good shape. I, it's just too early to know. I don't, we don't have a we don't have a strong indication right now on crop yields for soybeans. We have a very good indication for corn, and we think we're right about that. So, all right. So last night I had the pleasure of getting your latest article come through um, on a special natural cycle weather report, and I. I kind of breeze through the executive summary that you have there on on the front page and I haven't had a chance to click through and and read the uh the actual report that you have but um let's talk about that for a little bit here so you mentioned the uh the Gleisberg and the Yoshimura cycle um and how they pertain to the global sea surface temperatures and and global air temperatures and how that's going to start affecting what we see happening out there as far as the weather goes plus going into a grand solar minimum that we that you've talked about on here um quite a bit um starting in 2021 um there, there's some weather coming some changes in our weather that are going to have a bigger uh, effect on what we see happen than than anything that we see right now so i guess talk let's kind of breeze through that a little bit um you know, we've been a, we've been a, a student in a study of weather our whole life. I mean, it's been a passion of ours, and and we look back at you know thousands of years of ice core uh, data and tree ring data and historical you know historical written uh, documents, and we've noticed that the that the natural state of climate is that it's always changing. That is to say, that the normal state of the climate is it's never stable. It's always changing. So it's, and so is it warming? Is it cooling? Is it more floods, more droughts? Is it more extreme weather volatility, less weather volatility? And this has been going on for hundreds and thousands of years, long before the humans ever emitted anything into the air. 
So our view has always been that there has to be natural forces at work that drive these big, massive climate changes over the years when humans had absolutely no impact to them. And we presume those large forces remain in place today and that the changes that are going on in our climate, which are perfectly normal, continue to be driven by these natural forces. And so what we have found is that what drives climate, what drives the Earth, um, is that it, 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 the Earth's magnetic field, its atmosphere, interacts with the sun's magnetic field, the sun's solar radiation, and it interacts with the planets of our solar system. Now remember, every planet is spinning around the sun at a different rate, spinning around its axis at a different rate, and all these planets are moving around constantly, and these forces, which are gravimetric, magnetic, electric, are constantly altering how our atmosphere and the Earth's surface and the, the, uh, the forces on our oceans are impacted. And so there's been thousands and thousands of papers from some brilliant, brilliant physicists and nuclear physicists and mathematicians that have looked at all this. And what we try to do in this report, Casey, is come to what we have found over our entire life's work of what are the most important variables that really determine which, what's the trend, going to be the trend in the natural climate change. And so the Gleisberg cycle, the Yoshimura cycle, um, are really uh, planet orientations of Jupiter, Saturn, and Uranus uh, to the Earth. And um, where we are right now um, is that we're about to enter this period where all these planetary uh, cycles are pointing to a significant cooling of our sea surface temperatures. If sea surface temperatures are falling, air temperature falls. The oceans decide what the air temperature is, not the other way around. So, for example, just think of this. El Nino, right? Warm Central Pacific sea surface temperatures. La Nina is cold Central Pacific sea surface temperatures. Well, how does that happen, right? Well, because the sun and the plants modulate El Nino and La Nina, when those planetary gravimetric forces get just right, it's called upwelling. You get the upwelling. There's always cold air in the ocean, always a cold water in the ocean below. And when you get the upwelling, that cold air comes to the surface, displaces the warm air, uh, warms with the warm ocean, and you get La Nina. And that's why temperatures always plummet during La Nina. So, so this is all interactive, and it's been going on, and it, it's verified. We've been, we went back, and all the cycles we discussed went back for a 1,000 years and verified that these cycles have been working every single century going far back as we can get this data and, and, and analyze the data. And where we are right now is all these cycles are pointing towards a significant cooling of our sea surface temperatures, which by definition means a significant cooling of our air temperatures. And it just so happens that it's synchronous with the sun going quiet. Um, and that means weather volatility expansion, uh, longer winters, shorter growing cycles, more extremity and weather volatility. Um, and all of that is really expected to heat up when the La Nina kicks in in 2122. As you know, Casey, I've, we've been talking about the year 2122 on your program and, you know, for a long time, that that's where the big La Nina comes in a grand solar with these planetary forces. And it'll be the first real example of what this new uh, 
weather regime of global cooling uh, is really all about. And once we get through that, we think the entire discussion will shift uh, to what's really going on and how we really, as a, as a global ag sector, have to adjust, adapt, and indoctrinate new technologies to be able to grow food in this environment. So uh, we really... Um, uh, we really think it's something that, ever, that, that most people need to be considering. And uh, certainly, you know, we're, it, it, it's, a, it's a contrarian point of view, as you know, Casey, where most of the discussion in at least the public forum suggests everything opposite. But we're very confident that we're going to see uh, this take place. And that we hope that those that read this report or look at this information can, it, it will stimulate them to, to look at it for themselves and try to find what the truth is about everything. Because we know, unfortunately, the media does not necessarily have an interest in the truth. Um, and, and our job is to make sure we get the truth out there because to us, that will help us and our customers have better price forecasting and, and be able to better handle the pricing ahead for their businesses. So. Yep. I, I can't believe you don't think the... the uh the media doesn't want to is, is not out telling the entire story. I don't know where you're getting that from. <laughs> uh, yeah, just 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 speculation. <laughs> oh yeah. But what I really want to bring home, Casey, is that mm -hmm. I have no axe to grind here. I don't really right. care what the truth is. I really don't. If the truth was that humans had a huge impact and emissions in the air really mattered, I would I would say so. I don't I don't I don't care what the truth is. I just want to know what the truth is because mm -hmm. it's going to help me do better price forecasting and help my customers better manage the period ahead. And everything that I see says what I've said, not only in this last report, but in the weather report that I put out December 2nd and in your programs that we've done on just the solar cycle, this is what's coming. It's repeated. It's happened before. It's happening again. Every cycle is a little different, but there's nothing going on that history hasn't already told us what to look for if we're willing to look for it. Right. And um, so anyway, uh, we think uh, it's important. And, and the good news is, is that you don't have to wait 20 years to see if I'm right. The next couple of years, I made a big claim as to what I believe is going to take place in the winter of 21, 22. Um, and, and if somehow that winter does not turn out to be what I've been portraying, then I have to rethink what I'm saying. So, so, so I, I, you could put me right on the spot and, and, and if 21, 22 winter, isn't what I believe it to be, then something I've missed something. But if it is, and I'm pretty comfortable, it will be, uh, the game is on, the game right. is on with everything that we're saying. And then you really have to start rapidly adjusting to your future, uh, agricultural business plans. So. Yeah, well, you're not the only one out there saying that. So if you if you go out there and you do some research on, there's several, several um, physicists uh, all over the place that are talking about these things, and you know they go back to which your report talks about quite a bit, um, the Mulder and Dalton minimums that were of epic. Um, you know, failures, crop failures around the world when those took place. I mean, I remember learning about the Dalton minimum when I was in high school or college, one or two, I don't remember when it was, but it was a history class and they were talking about the the uh, summer that had, uh, that never came or whatever, I can't remember what the exact thing was, but it was... Um, the, 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 year, the year without a summer. The year 18, without a summer, yeah. 1816, something like that. Yep. That was, that was, the, that was the Dalton minimum. Yep. That was the Dalton minimum. 
in mini ice and age that they kept snow, tossing around. Snow in late June in Iowa, by the way. Snow. Mm-hmm. Failures of of all the of grapes in um in in France. They had to get grapes from other places to get to make wine. So, I mean, it was. This isn't this isn't made up. This isn't some joke. There's plenty of stuff out there, and um, the there's a Russian physicist, and I can't remember her name. It escapes me right now. That has um, brought it up and talks about it quite a bit, and is very much on, in the same camp that you are. So, I mean, Casey, I have thousands of 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 uh, peer-reviewed published papers. All right. By you know multiple PhD physicists and mathematicians and that have gone over this whole thing, you know over the last you know fifty fifty a hundred years. I mean, there's tons of research about the validity of the, of these cycles, but you know somehow you know it's just not being brought to the surface. It's being for whatever reason being suppressed and 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 all in weather is so complicated. When you really look at all the variables at work to say that you can bring the entire climate's effects to one variable and say everything's because of this one variable like CO2, it's in my personal view, I'm a chemist by trade. I mean, that's my degree. It's the most noxious abuse of the scientific process I've ever seen, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, because the scientific process is you don't you, you, you don't do that. You look at the body of evidence. The science is never settled. You're always learning something new. And we know throughout history, preconceived notions where scientists all believed the world was flat realized mm-hmm. it was not. And then, you know, and, and, and as time goes on, you realize, you know, that that science is never settled and you have to keep an open mind to the body of evidence, not well, one variable is the reason for everything. Well, of course it's not. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. good if you if you drink orange juice, you're gonna be totally healthy. No, orange juice will provide potential for you being healthier, right. but if you eat at McDonald's every day, you're not going to be healthy. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, yeah. That's a good point, but yeah. No, so there's some there's some really, really, really good information here, as always, when you put these reports out, but there's a, a significant amount of, of good scientific data that backs up, backs up all that you've been talking about on here, and I'm... Uh, I'm right there with well, you on this. For this particular report, we, we really, and we, we spent a lot of time on that. If any of your listeners would want to see that, just to get a copy of it, you know, I have no problem uh, emailing this, that report that we just issued yesterday to them. It's so important that, you know, I'd be willing to just give it to them if you're, for their perusal. It's, it's just too important not to, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a follow-on to the first report, but it's really, really something we spent tons of time on, and we think it's a, it's a template for the, going forward and it's something we're going to keep modulating as we go forward and what we think is going to happen here right on. So. well that's a that's a good place to tell everybody how to find this report and get a hold of you to get to uh, get this information i think i mean if they want to get the report the best thing you can do casey is just email me at sean s-h-a-w-n at hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors.com just email me uh, email me say that you heard you know, through um, Moving Iron, you want the weather report, we'll get it right out to them. So. Good stuff, man. That's good stuff. All right, Sean, what's the uh, – what else is out there that you think we should cover today? I mean, I think we've kind of hit the high points, but I think there's uh, anything that we need to – that's on your mind right now that we make sure people need to know about. I mean, the only thing that could – I mean, the, you know, this thing, these are things we've talked about before, but I think it's worth mentioning one last time. You know, the – 
next wave of the desert locust, the summer hatching, mm -hmm. I mean, the summer egg laying that took place, all that, that hatching is going to take place right about now. It is expected to be diametrically larger than the swarm that took place from the spring into the early summer. Um, and so we'd be watching for this summer swarm in August in India um, and see if that has the kind of impact we think it may have. So we'd be watching that. The second thing is that these, uh, these historic floods that are taking place in China and continue to take place in China, um, you know, we want to be on the lookout for whether or not uh, that Three Gorges uh, dam were actually breaks or not. I mean, because if it were to break, there's already been tremendous damage as it is, Casey, but mm -hmm. if it were to break, it would actually create a failed rice crop because the main rice crop is grown to the south of that. Um, we'd really keep an eye on that because we do know the Chinese have been buying a lot of grain, a lot of, uh, of U.S. grain and ag uh, just in the last couple of weeks, and we think this flood might have something to do with it. Uh, so we would keep really keep an eye on how that plays out. Um, and, and lastly, um, we would keep an eye on the, uh, the fall armyworm uh, impacts to the uh, corn crop in the northern and northeastern part of uh, China. All this uh, moisture only intensifies the, the uh, reproductive cycle of these uh, insects. And uh, you know, we think it could be a big impact. And maybe it's the reason why the corn price in China has gone up parabolically the last two to three weeks. In fact, we're looking at one of the largest price differentials to U.S. prices in uh, 25 years. So something's going on there with China that about something that's really becoming dire for them. And, and even though the market is, you know, proper rings are good, it's, it's all bearish. There could be a big slingshot here as we move into the fall. And we just want everyone to be mindful that uh, markets out of nowhere could come alive because for, for whatever reason, the markets tend to ignore news until it's right upon you and they slap you in the head. So that's what continues to be something we're trying to monitor. Plus the hurricane season. Right. Hurricane season is just getting started. We've talked about it, cotton, rice, orange juice. We think it's going to be an active season and there could be some significant price upward adjustments in those areas where we expect the hurricane season to be really active. So nothing really new other than we're now right on top of when those uh, – Variables should have an impact on the markets over the next couple of months. Yep. So. Funny good news coming out of China. Can't get enough of that place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're just, well, if you really think about it, you know, the virus, yeah. the African swine fever, historic floods, you know, I mean, <laughs> they're not having a good year. <laughs> no, they're struggling. They're having a rough day, rough day at the office, for sure. Sure are. All right, Sean. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, man. And one more time with uh, where they can get that report and how they get a hold of you. Email me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Just mentioned Moving Iron Podcast, weather report. We'll get it right out to them. I, I think they'll find it extremely helpful and maybe stimulate them for further research. Yeah, absolutely. Email and get that report. I like I said, I read the executive summary in the front, kind of got a good gist of what it was, and I'm going to dive into the uh, the meat and potatoes of the actual report here as soon as we're done here. So, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you'll find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, check out movingironllc.com for all the latest news as well as the Moving Iron Podcast and all blogs that I write get posted there as well. Make sure you check out the Go Black Network and the great podcasters there. And... Uh, I guess with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard working 
decir 